You're listening to Texas Slim's Vision, where we discuss food intelligence, the Texas Beef Initiative, and how to design an international lifestyle starting right here, right now. You don't want to miss this. And now, here's your host, Texas Slim. Hey guys, this is Texas Slim with Texas Slim's Vision, and I'm the founder of the Texas Beef Initiative. Today, we're going to talk kiddos. We're gonna talk about Bitcoin and kids and how we all need to start orange peeling the young ones out there. They are the power behind our philosophy that we've all found. And I've got some guests um, I've met on Bitcoin Twitter, and they wrote the book, Bitcoin for Kiddos and the story of Bitcoin. And I have with me today, I have Chris and Frida Bobe. Is that how you say it? Bobe. 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 Okay. Chris and Frida Bobe. And uh, what we're going to do, we're going to, they, they published their book. I'm not for sure how long ago, but I've been paying attention to it. Frida actually sent me a copy of it. And I know she sent a copy to Daniel as well over there in France with a uh, once bitten. So we're trying to get the message out. I asked Frida if she would, you know, attend my podcast. It's just getting started, but I want to bring kids in orange filling kids into the narrative. How are you doing today, guys? Good. Thanks for having us. Yeah. 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 This is cool, man. Because all this started, honestly, was when I was on uh, Daniel's podcast once bitten and he said, who would you orange pill? And so I didn't want to give a blanket answer, you know like people say Jesus or, you know, (laughs) they say somebody famous, you know, I think it's extremely important to get people thinking in the Bitcoin philosophy. And that is, you know, the decentralized way of thinking the value add of Bitcoin into your thought processes. Um, You know, that's why I kind of touched on you, Frida. That's why we reached and kind of, you know, found each other and started this conversation. Why don't you tell me how you guys, where you where you where you are where uh what what your children's age groups are and just kind of just give us a big picture of you know how you got into bitcoin and how you started you know writing about it and then you know with the book cool yeah yeah we're um we're both located in uh, california and our kids are now one is a little bit over a year old baby emma we call her and then we have uh benjamin who's our almost four-year-old toddler and um, we really started, you know, with the book, it's like, obviously we, we've been down the rabbit hole and we can tell you how we got there, but the book really came about because Benjamin is now of an age where we feel like we should talk to him about, you know, what is Bitcoin? And so we've kind of been breaking our brain on how to do that. You know, Chris talks to him here and there and tries to explain concepts, but nothing works as well as, you know, having beautiful illustrations you know in front of your kid and being able to actually like you know he can point at the book at pages and say whoa mommy this is a bulldozer you know and Uh um just interacting with them in that way and so that that's really how how the story came about um chris can touch a little bit on know how we went down the rabbit hole in the first place (laughs) yeah yeah and i grew up in uh, in the mountains of northern california and uh both my parents were entrepreneurs they owned a couple of uh, women's accessory stores in a small little town called arnold's which has about four thousand people in it in the middle of the summertime and um so at a young age they were always uh teaching my brother and i 
uh, about the, the value of hard work and, you know, what the value of a, of a dollar or what the value of money really is. And um, as I went through the traditional schooling system, uh, I realized that money wasn't really a part of the conversation at all. And when I got to college, I wanted to, uh, uh, I got my degree in finance from San Jose State. And um, at the time, uh, it's really all I had learned from a traditional sense on what money was. So I kind of um, believed everything that they told me. And in 2008, uh, I became a financial advisor, helping people with their retirement plannings and, and saving. And uh, then the financial crisis hit. And not only were, you know, were my, were my uh, clients in a tough situation, it also put Frida and I in a tough situation too. And after that, you know, we, we ended up going through a bankruptcy and losing a property and basically having to start off at square one, had to move back into a, uh, a studio up apartment with cockroaches and everything else and kind of build back out of there. Um, it really got me thinking more about the concept of money and um, how what my teachings were compared to what the reality of the situation was. And so uh, I went back to work and started learning uh, more and more about money, you know, whether it was at the gym, listening to podcasts or reading books or before bed, you know, kind of listening to exactly what we're doing here. And uh, I always wanted our children to have a better understanding of what it would what it would be and what it would mean. And and, uh, you know, the kids are at the age now where they all they keep saying is, you know, daddy, buy me this. Daddy, I want this. Daddy, I want that. And um, we felt it was important for them to understand where that all came from and that not everybody has the same opportunities. And um, if you want to have more options, you know, one of the first uh, money lessons I was teaching to Frida was I was always asked her, I said, Frida, what's money? And she, I, uh, I don't know. I said, <laughs> I said, all you gotta know is money is options. You know, more money, more options. Less money, less options. You know, uh, and we kind of started from there. And then, so with the book, Frida was always saying, "Chris, you need to, you need to write a book about this for our kids." So I spent about a year thinking about how I would go about that process. Um, and uh, just one night, the idea popped into my head. You know, thank God for Bitcoin. And um, the story from there kind of kind of evolved. And what's great about reading the book to uh, Benjamin and Emma is it's very interactive. And there's lots of things that the kids really can uh, connect to the, the rhyming of the story and the pictures. And there's lots of things that the adults can start pulling little concepts from to start their journey further and further down the rabbit hole and start educating themselves more about it. So it becomes more less of a less of a book to read at night and more of a, a, of a piece of dialogue that you sure. can begin the conversation with um, children. And then with also uh, we have lots of adults who have bought the book for their mm -hmm. friends and family right. um, because of the, the concepts involved in there. I love that because what it is, it's just not like a, a, a nighttime book, you know, bedtime book. What it is, it's an ongoing dialogue that probably never ends. You know, I've gone through your book and you can touch on so many things because you do a good job with the illustrations, like you said, Frida. You know, that's, you know, for kids is as important. But even as adults, I mean, if <laughs> a lot of adults don't like to say, hey, I need a book for dummies on Bitcoin because we all needed one when, whenever we first started. And this is not a Bitcoin book for dummies, but it, it basically combines the, uh, the teaching 
teachings and the learning with the kids and the parents all together as one. Because as the teacher, as the a parent is being the teacher, the parent is also learning as he teaches the child. That's what I love about this book is that you can go through it. The kids are going to be fascinated with the illustrations like the rabbit with the rabbit hole, <laughs> you know, the teacher yeah. with the chalkboard, you know, and um, basically the pizza, of course, we we'll always have to bring up the pizza in the Bitcoin world. <laughs> in the, you know, the pictures of the earth, you know, just everything there is, it, it does it in a short period of time, but it is complex in so many different ways. And you brought up, I want to go back to this, Chris, because you said you were in the financial industry basically and you know where you come from and you even got hit with the the housing market you know debacle that we had in this country and across the world by knowing that and getting some clarity in your mind and having the children at the ages you do you know let's look at that what are our children learning right now that are just going to repeat what you guys had to do, go through as a family with the institutional learning of being in finance. I mean, cause you, you, you really kind of had to take a soul searching journey to get to where you are right now because you had a lot of catastrophe in your life as far as financial. And do you, do you think if you would have had a Bitcoin philosophy back in 2008, that you would have, you would not have gotten hit as bad as you, as you did. Because I, don't I, know. I, prob I probably would have sold the Bitcoin way too early. I mean, it doubled right? in such a short period of time. I probably would have did what so many did and just sell it and be like, okay, hundred percent return. I'm going to go brag about it with all my friends and just, you know, watch it yeah. run away from me for, for the next 10 years. Um, so I, I guess it's kind of a blessing that we didn't really discover Bitcoin or start really going down the rabbit hole until 2017. Mm -hmm. um, when it was already a, a, of a meaningful value, you know, it was around 1800 or 2000 at that time. Sure. Um, so, but, but yeah, you know, so much of the book is, uh, is a personal story of ours because we, we, we aren't a couple that, you know, uh, are telling a story from kind of a third party perspective, kind of the, you know, the, the, how would I say more of the, the, studied sort of, uh, you know, book learned instead of street smarts kind uh -huh. of, sure. uh, kind of perspective. So that really grounded us. And, um, I mean, back then I, I used to believe that, you know, debt was something that is good and debt is something that it's, it's not about how much money you have. It's about how much money you control. And after the financial crisis and having to go through all of that, I mean, now it's, um, the more money I have, the more options I have, the more debt I have. Okay, fine. But if I lose my job or if I lose a revenue stream, all of a sudden that picture gets turned upside down really quick. And, you know, it goes back to that famous saying that always gets used in the Bitcoin community so much is, you know, how did you go bankrupt? And then the answer is, you know, slowly and then all at once. <laughs> you know, so, so true. Uh, definitely, we, we definitely live that. And, um, you know, that's a situation in a, in, a, in a couple's life that could really tear them apart because you hear so many stories about relationships that end on a financial aspect um, rather than a relationship aspect. And uh, we were lucky enough to be able to, I mean, don't get me wrong, there were a lot of uh, trials and tribulations during that time. But uh, right. when we decided to get married, we took that commitment seriously and uh, kind of in the sense of the Vikings burned the ship behind us. There you um, go. Burn if you bugs. will, good, bad, or indifferent. Yes. Um, and because of that, and because of that strength and rebuilding the foundation the right way um, and understanding and learning about Bitcoin and 
having gone through all this process, um, you know, it's really been a saving, uh, a saving grace, you know, Satoshi uh, Nakamoto is so commonly referred to as, uh, you know, Jesus within the space on an, on, a, on, a, on an analogy side, because, you know, here's a guy who created something so special for the world and then, and then left the world and left it up to ourselves um, to kind of build the community and to create the, the infrastructure and the assets and everything around it. Um, that's completely decentralized and completely outside of his control now, sure. um, similar to the, the Christian religion and how it propagated throughout the world. Um, so um, we're, we're both um, religious in that respect as well. Sure. But sure. Um, to, to, to now have the spiritual and the, and the physical, you know, merged t- together is a, is, is a great way. Uh, and then it can, it allows us to do other things like look at, look at nature in a different way look at our look at our food in a different way look at how we live our lives and um and health and community and to be able to do all those things where if uh we didn't have this um bitcoin safety net if you will um we would probably be concerning ourselves with just how to put food on the table and how to pay the electrical bills and how to do all those those other things that's that's one thing i want to tap on too like just the bitcoin community It's such, I mean, it's pretty amazing. You know, I've been down the rabbit hole and this is how I found you, right? Of of where does our food come from for a long time now? Uh And, um, you know, originally coming from Germany, right? We had different safety regulations, even around like, you know, raw meat. Like I remember, you know, when when I grew up, like there was no frozen burger that, you know, somebody would defrost in the back end of a restaurant. It was like, you know, you get it from the farm, they have to make it fresh. And if they don't use it that day, they have to throw it out. And uh, when I first came to the States, you know, understanding the safety regulations and how different they were, I was just like, whoa, you know, like this is already like weird. And then the the produce didn't really taste like much of produce, you know, like how I was used to from, you know, in Germany, we have like thousands of different variations of an apple. And here I came to the store and I found like six, you know, uh-huh. exactly. <laughs> I was like, what? And, um, and so, and then, you know, also this whole, um, thing about you know like just everything being so pricey um around just solid food is very pricey here right and they're right. like what's the reason for that right like in germany when you at least when you used to like things have changed over the last 10 15 years now but you used to go to a farmer's market you would actually you know be able to shop for cheaper at the farmer's market than at the regular you know grocery store and um and so i think you know like you know, I, I was I was at the beginning, I was very skeptical of anything that I've heard about cryptocurrency. You know, I actually come from a technology background uh-huh. and I understand how, how hackable technology can be. And um, I was just like, dude, Chris, this this money is not going to what is this? You know, of course. <laughs> and I didn't even want to bother getting into it. You know, I just saw these different coins, all these like, you know, altcoins, whatever. And um and, and it wasn't until, you know, very recently, what about like two and a half years ago now that, you know, I like had my breaking moment of being orange pilled by Max and Stacy on the Kaiser. I think it was on, on orange pill podcast. Right. And, um, you know, where they, where they talked about, I think, um, it, first of all, you know, the whole concept of, you know, Bitcoin only being 21 million, which, you know, I I did not understand before, you know, I thought there was some master hacker behind the scenes that you could just produce infinitely definitely more like so many other altcoins do. And so that, you know, already understanding that value aspect of it, that was one thing. But then the real thing that really got me was the community aspect of 
understanding that a person that is willing to do the work in the world can now earn this and actually make their lives better. And like there was a specific story, I think it was a lady from Saudi Arabia that Stacey was talking about, this um, example of her, you know, being essentially in an abusive relationship with her husband. And, you know, over there, they can't drive, they can't mm-hmm. do anything, you know, being female. And she was a blogger online in secret, earning Bitcoin and storing up enough Bitcoin to the point where she had the money to divorce her husband and get out of her situation. And so that was just like, I mean, like mother to mother, you know, heart to heart. Like it was just like one of those aha glory moments where I was just like, wow, this is like, this is to the next level. This is like, this is humane money. You know, this is like really solid people to people interaction. And, and then, you know, coming, just dabbling in the Bitcoin community a little bit, especially also because bringing out the book, you know, I've got connected to more people giving us feedback and responses and, it's just, I mean, it's just a, a very, I mean, you have your outlier here and there, but in general, like people are here to create a better future for our kids. And I'm all about that, you know, like get back to nature, like show them how something grows, you know, like we have a very tiny backyard here in California, but you know, we grow our, our little carrots so that they can see, you know, how, how does something go sure. from seed to actual um, fruit? And then, you know, getting out there and getting dirty and like, just, they love it. Yeah, it's you know everything that you just touched on is is something that I'm glad everybody's talking about in the Bitcoin space. I'm glad that we're we're seeing oh we just don't have to talk about Bitcoin. We can talk about you know freedom. You know somebody in a different country. The leverage Bitcoin gives you to run a life without any of the fiat fears that we're always living in a quiet desperation with. And, you know, being parents, we all know I'm a parent. My boy is 17 years old. We all have that quiet desperation because we're always battling the fiat world because we're trying to make it. You know, we're trying not to lose our house. We're trying to feed our families. We're trying to maybe get out of a bad relationship like the lady you referred to in Saudi Arabia. What we need to keep on track with is how important developing that core belief system that our children never have to worry about this stuff that we've had to go through. I see Bitcoin as that philosophy, as that mindset, as that strength of mind, as that base of self, that self is valuable in a way that it's been stolen from us. And so you guys are doing that. You guys are helping front run that. There's other people out here in the Bitcoin space that are, you know, doing stuff for the kids. And so let's talk about, there's a lot of people out there that are parents. Okay. And Chris, you said that it took about a year, you know, you kind of contemplated, it's like, Hey, how am I going to approach this? And so I want you to kind of walk us through basically because you had the idea because kids, children's books are hard they're not easy to pull off and people act like oh i I wrote children's books well there's a big production team behind there there's a lot of things that happens with children's books and you guys pretty much pulled this off on your own so walk us through the thought process the project of it you know the production of it and you know let let everybody out there hear that because parents are going to want to do the same and that's what we want we want everybody to put in some proof of work with this and you guys will be a great you know, standard to for them to follow and kind of concentrate in and maybe target. 
So sure, sure. Well, yeah, um, I'll have to step back just a, a little bit to kind of give a, a baseline here on how sure. um, you know we got into storytelling, if you will. Um, <laughs> So if you haven't been able to tell, uh, Frida has an accent. Uh, yes, she's from very lovely accent. Yes. We, uh, we met in high school, actually. She was a foreign exchange student in uh, Northern California. And uh, my best friend at the time was like, hey, I'm going to a birthday party. Do you want to come? There's this, uh, uh, all of our typical friends. And then there's this, this new foreign exchange student that one of our friends has staying with them. And I was like, okay, sure, fine, I'll go. And um, I met Frida. It was kind of uh, love at first sight there. Uh, she didn't really speak any English and I certainly mm -hmm. didn't speak any German. Um, so we spent the next couple of hours sort of fumbling around a conversation. Um, but for some reason I was uh, um, attracted to her or was uh, less nervous around her than I had been with any other girl um, that I had spoken to at the time. And I was the same age as your son, 17 years old. Right. And um, we proceeded to date that entire school year. And then she went home to Germany. And uh, I, we, we had some, um, uh, some difficulties in our, in our childhood. I lost a, a, a mom when I was uh, 16 years old. And um, so I was able to get some of her uh, social security money that she couldn't claim as, as me being a minor. Sure. And uh, my dad saved that for me. And so that gave me the finances to be able to follow her back to Germany, uh, basically. And uh, then when I started college, it was, uh, I would go back in between semesters, back and forth. And um, kind of fast forward the story, Frida was always into uh, modeling and acting and wanted to get really big in that uh, arena. So when we turned 25, uh, we decided we were either finally going to get married or uh, we were just going to split up and that was going to be that. Um, but that wasn't going to happen. So we had to determine where we were going to live. I didn't want to move to Berlin. She didn't want to live in San Francisco. So we settled on Los Angeles. So we uh, we moved to Hollywood and uh, started. Uh, I, I got a job working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car and she got a uh, uh, was going to acting school and uh, trying to get involved in that. And um, I had bought some production equipment, and this was when uh, web videos and uh, short short movies was was becoming big. So we're talking 2005, 2006. Yeah. And uh, so we created a couple stories and uh, made a couple different things. So we had a little bit of a production background, and um, then that just kind of evolved internal internally with the two of us throughout time. And then finally, when we had our own children, Frida was like, Chris, you're so big into this Bitcoin thing. You need to write a you need to write a kid's book for, for our kids about money because she's like, I don't come from a from a money background. I don't, I don't know how to do this. And it seems to be all you spend your free time doing. So I said, huh, well, that's not going to happen. And she goes, well, what do you mean? And I go, Bitcoin. Are you kidding me? This is such a big space. I mean, there are so many books written about this and so many people who are in the educational space or who are financial advisors or who, uh, you know, money is their whole life and they don't understand it. Like, how am I going to write something about this? I mean, you got the four year having, you got the two week difficulty adjustment, you got nodes, you got minors, you got, uh, you know, the, the hard cap of 21 million and eight decimal places and, um, you know, sending time and value at the speed of light and like all these different concepts, how do you bring them all together into something that a kid would understand? It's daunting. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it just kind of, you know, but typically what, uh, what the wife wants, the wife gets. <laughs> of course, so, of course. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Yes. Um, so I just kind of kept it there in the back of my mind, always 
kind of thinking about it and trying to fumble through a couple of conversations with our, with our son, Benjamin. And, uh, you know, he, he's been orange pilled at an early age because every time he's in the car with dad, he's always listening to a podcast or a YouTube video or right. an audio book <laughs> on it. And he's always like, dad, can we listen to music? And I'm like, no, son, we, we got back after this, after this podcast, you know, we can do that. And, um, so then finally one night, uh, in probably April or May of this year, um, we were sitting down in front of the TV. The kids were asleep. I had my laptop in front of me doing some office work and Frida had hers in front of her doing some office work on the sofa. And I was just taking a pause and I was thinking to myself, you know, Bitcoin is something, something quite rare. And, uh, I was like, huh, well, that's interesting. That rhymes. Let me, let me just write that down and see, and see what happens. And then I was, I was thinking about uh, a class I took in college or in philosophy and the idea of, uh, I think it was, um, Socrates or Aristotle. Someone will correct me on whoever it is. I'm sure, in sure. The Bitcoin community, <laughs> yes. on this idea of, uh, you know, what is, what is a memory? You know, a memory is it's, it's real. It's tangible to the individual, but you could stack a thousand memories on top of one another and it still wouldn't make anything physical that somebody could see, touch or feel. But to the person, you could do all of those things. And I was like, wow, you know, Bitcoin in a sense is kind of that same thing. It's real. You can't touch it, but it has value. You can see it has value because when you send it from one person to another person, they can transfer it then into a local currency and then spend it and buy things with it. So it became kind of this idea. And I was like, huh, Bitcoin is something, you know, something quite rare. You know, you won't find it in your pocket or, or under your chair. It's much more than an idea, but it weighs as much as a thought. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. You can buy anything with it. And over time, it appreciates a lot. So, you know, and it just kind of from there, it's like, okay, well, that's interesting. And I sat there and thought about it. And then I was thinking about, you know, the, when it was created and the financial crisis and how it changed so many lives and how it changed our life. And, um, you know, the Genesis block, uh, of Satoshi writing in there that, um, you know, chancellor on the brink of, uh, you know, of another, another bailout. Um, and, uh, the story just kind of started evolving, you know, it's really hard to say, you know, I, I would say, you know, the more I just got into my own mind and my own story and our own story, um, the story just kind of started coming naturally. So it, it, it it becomes something of, I would say, you don't want to create something that's third party. You want to create something that's personal. And how would you explain it to your children? Right. And, and then from there, you just kind of, uh, you know, Dr. Seuss was always a big uh, role model for me when my parents were reading stories um, to us or to my brother and I. And um, it just it just started coming out and then, and then, and then within, you know, I say it was maybe an hour and a half, maybe it was four hours, you know, sure. when you start, when you let your mind wander and you start kind of meditating on things, time just sort of disappears. And it just, it's just about the experience of it. Um, and then at the end of the evening, I, I, I read it to Frida and she was like, Oh my God, Chris, that's it. That's the story right there. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. And then I was like, let me, let me read this to another couple people and see what they think. And then uh, I read it to some family members and they were like, wow, that's, 
that's a really good story. Not like you should not orange-pilled family members. Not orange-pilled family members. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that makes yeah. a difference. Yeah. The, yes. Thanks yeah. for the clarification there. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like, like my father, who's a 72-year-old guy, um, always reads the uh, Wall Street Journal every morning for the last 30 years. Guess uh-huh. you know Newsweek and uh, a couple of other financial periodicals. And uh, he'll, he'll never be a Bitcoiner, never. No. But he has um, purchased uh, four or five of the books to give out to his uh, friends in the financial community. Yep. Um, and so, you know, one of the things that we like about the book and what, what I write in a lot of my uh, tweets on Twitter is, you know, it's a great bedtime story, but it's also a good coffee table book or a good bathroom read. Yeah. I mean, anybody can read it and enjoy it and get something out of it. And whether you decide to buy Bitcoin or not, you know, it's just it's 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 more important to understand it yes. than it is to necessarily buy it at this stage, even though buying it is important. You know, it'll pay dividends in the future. Um, but just understanding the technology and understanding where the world is is moving and understanding that, you know, money doesn't have to be something that is uh, generated by a government and controlled by a government. And you're kind of a slave to whatever the government's idea of what they want it to be. It's, you know, money is right. for the people. It's about transferring our, our time and energy for somebody else's time and energy through uh, an inter, uh, a mediary that is, um, you know, not necessarily a rock or a stone or a banana or something, you know, it can be anything just as long as I can't, I can't raise cattle, you know, but I right. love beef, yes. but you know, I can, I can create a story or I can create a book or I can, you know, I can grow vegetables. Um, and you know, we can exchange that into Bitcoin and then we can go buy anything, buy furniture, we can buy TVs, we can buy vacations, any of that stuff. Also, um, you know, I wanted to touch on this, but when we've gotten like such cool responses of people that have bought our book Uh and, you know, let's say like there's like a family that's orange pilled and they give the book to like the son of another, you know, like the cousin or whatever. We've gotten so many responses of like of the parents of that kid, you know, reading the book to them, like they came back and were like, well, this Bitcoin thing, explain, explain more. Right. And they're like now in the process of being orange pilled. So if you've subliminally want an orange pill family <laughs> this is the way to do it <laughs> I'm, I'm with you on that one I, I was going to bring that up uh later on but you just did i said this is the perfect little psyop to parents yeah. <laughs> it's like oh you don't think you like bitcoin or you're not a bitcoin uh bitcoiner yet well just just read this to your children, you know, they'll have fun. And by the end of, you know, they, they start getting it and it yeah. is, it's a, it's a good entry point for adults to be orange filled as they're just reading their kids a children's book. So, you know, we, we're going to come at you at every angle, you know, us Bitcoiners are. So we're going to get in, we're going to get into everybody's mind one way or the other, be it through beef, be it through food, uh, vegetables, through children's books, Bitcoin is going to be in everybody's minds because it's it touches everything. It really does. And that's what I always like to say. You know, the philosophy of Bitcoin is my wealth right now in my life. You know, hopefully I have that security, you know, that store of value that we all search for whenever we acquire Bitcoin. But the thing that I see the most important in my life right now and moving forward for the next you know decade, let's say, is that 
I have the wealth of the philosophy and that's what I want the kids. That's what my, I want my son to understand. That's what you guys want your children to understand. And, you know, you guys are doing a fantastic job with this. So you guys are a fantastic couple. You've been through trials and tribulations because of the financial stuff. Let's look at the perspective of, okay, we'll start with you first, Frida, as a mother, your angle that you teach your children with the book or the philosophy that I just spoke of. How do you approach it as a mother to your children? Um, well, um, not sure I fully get the, the question, but, but, but um, I think, so, so the, the book itself, like I loved when we created it, uh -huh. you know, to be able to actually hand it to Benjamin, our oldest son and, and just see what he would come back with and see if it would stick because he was really, you know, a first reader of the book. Let's face it. Sure. Um, and so um, for him, you know, it's just like, it's, it's interesting. Like he picks up on, on little things. Like he'll, he'll go through, you know, our, we have like a, a just a jar of like coins, essentially, uh -huh. you know, like just fiat coins. And um, he would go through those and pick one up the other day. And he was like, daddy, this is currency. Right. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and we were like, brings a smile yes. every time I hear yes, it. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> you know, so he picks up on like the little things. I think, you know, um, my, my whole thing. And also I think, um, you know, why, for example, we haven't brought out like a digital version of the book yet is I really have these core values that I was taught, you know, by my mom specifically of there's quality time to be spent. And that is away from screens. You know, like I am not a TV watcher, for example, like sure. ask Quincy gets me to maybe sit down for a movie like once a month. Right. And, and that's it, you know, um, I, you know, do the work on like a cell phone that I need to do in order to, you know, in our current, you know, whatever we need to do there. Um, but as much as possible, especially for the youngsters, I try to keep them away from the screens. I try to, you know, we have a, this philosophy of sitting down at the dinner table together and having a meal without anybody being on any phone or any distractions. You know, we might listen to music, but that's it. And, um, and, and really, um, you know, it, I just, I just want to, install the sense of independence. I feel like um, in our society today, there's a lot of just, um, what do you say, like almost like hover parenting going on where uh -huh. it's like the, the, the child does not have to make a decision on their own and there are not a lot of consequences. You know, like we have certain rules in our house, you know, we're just like, if you don't eat these vegetables, like you will definitely not see dessert, right? And it's up to them to do it or not. They don't have to finish that dinner plate. Um, you know, but like, that's just those little things to implement those little things of, you know, just bringing actual like decision-making to them young and early, um, for them to be able to understand that they are actually a sovereign being and they can decide on their own. And obviously, you know, they're, they're little and sometimes, you know, their, their minds go crazy and they run around too much and, you know, they have to be like, you know, uh, told, you know, what to do at a moment, but, um, most of the time I find that, you know, if you give them a certain freedom and I'm not saying, you know, like they run around the house and do whatever, but like a freedom with boundaries, um, that, that they actually are, have a better grasp of what's going on. And so like what the next step actually that we've been thinking about is, you know, like how, how do we get Benjamin to, to, um, have maybe like a, a safety, like a piggy bank almost, you know, that, that holds Bitcoin, like we're kind of like, um, going into that, um, 
I don't know, I'm a little bit rambling right now. I don't know. If you no, that's it. good. No, <laughs> well, you you said something really important, and this is kind of wanted to do it because we we're parents. We we look at our children and we we raise them with core belief systems. Either they're yeah. going to be strong core belief systems or they're going to be somewhat askewed and a mother has a responsibility in that core belief system and so does the father and then collectively you do you know mothers have a nurturing form of love that only a mother can give and so you know you you received it from your parents well now you're giving it to your children but you will have a, a 21st century tool that's going to carry that core belief system of nurturing that you received in to our world that we're we're facing as parents so that's kind of like what you know is a good answer i mean you know you of course speaking the truth but I, I i hear a lot of nurturing in what you said and so you know and i always tell you know a father's love comes from a sense of masculine strength and so that's what i wanted to ask chris it's like chris how do you see this book and your philosophy and bitcoin helping benjamin basically you know now he's four you know because you know what freed is doing how are you doing it as a father how you what is your angle within the book itself in bitcoin sure i mean my philosophy on bitcoin is bitcoin is generational wealth right right it's it's not it's not for me it's it's really for them because when bitcoin becomes all that it's going to be become they'll probably be adults by then and um you know we'll be very old so it's kind of one of those things where a king would tell a prince or a, or a princess back in the day, you know, one day this, this kingdom will all be yours. Yeah. Um, I need to teach you how to take care of it and how to respect it and how to be mindful of the things that um, could be the potential pitfalls that could make you lose it all. You know, there, there, there was an analogy um, that I learned a long time ago that always stuck with me. And it was, um, or I guess it would say a short story. The father starts the business the son grows the business and the grandchild destroys the business. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've got a couple of friends I grew up with that you just explained. <laughs> <laughs> but one of them's a used car salesman and you know, he's not a used car salesman anymore. So, but he did, yeah, have a, yeah. you know, he destroyed the business, put it that way. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, um, my entire professional career has been in, in sales in right. one form or another. So I've done every kind of sale from, um, on somebody's living room floor to, uh, you know, fortune 500 decision-making conference rooms. Um, and so I, I've, I've seen all of that stuff. It, you know, front, back and, and in between it's, it, it's been crazy. And so that's really why that stuck with me so much. Sure. So to kind of get back to your question, um, I find it really important to help my children understand money in a way that, uh, my friends and family and people around me haven't necessarily understood in, in their lives. And, um, you know, the, the, the kids are going to make their own decisions, no matter how well you think you prepare them, you know, they're their own people and they're going to do what they think is, is best for them. And if they're anything like their dad, they're going to make a lot of mistakes along the way. Yes. And so um, they need to be comfortable with understanding that. And also at the same time, uh, realize that that's just a part of life. And that's when the learning happens. Um, so I just really, really want to give them a good, a good foundation, help them learn early um, about money. So it's not a, um, a, a tough conversation when mm -hmm. they get older, 
Yeah. Uh, because so many people, so many couples, so many families, money becomes a taboo subject. And it really shouldn't be. It's, it's just math. You can yes. afford it or you can't afford it. It can really be boiled down to something that simple. Yeah. And the complexity that people put around it and make it all this, you know, taboo and trivial and, and difficult. Like, it doesn't have to be like that. So, um, yeah, we just want to start talking about it early enough with our kids. So when they start talking about it, it's not a difficult conversation and they don't get anxiety about it. Yeah. Money yeah. can be very emotional. I think Chris speaks kind of from my background. You know, I grew up in a family. We've always had money. We were like upper middle class in Germany, you know, even, you know, very higher upper class in my relatives. And it was just interesting that when I met Chris, you know, his family was very open with talking about money and how uncomfortable I was about it, you know, and how it really like it got emotional for me. And like, why? Like now I look back at it, you know, I still have some triggers right here and there sometimes, but it's just interesting, like how we're like, like almost a, because it's not taught in schools, right? Like this, like this taboo subject that only if you have really, you know, a family that's in it that understands some of it, can they teach it and give it down to their kids? And other than that, it's just that this mysterious thing that like people have and, you know, like you earn it, but like, you know, really, I mean, I did not understand until really like, you know, a handful of years ago, um, what central banks were all about. Sure. And that they were privately held, you know, like, I mean, that's just something that never, ever came across my path before. And, and I just looked at Chris, I was like, man, like that was like, I think my pre orange pill moment where I was just like, how is, how, how is nobody in the streets right now? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> protesting this. And I think the other thing that I wanted to add on, like, you know, the kids, I think it's one thing to teach about money, but how we also, what is money, right? Man, money is a value, the store of value. And, and so what I, for example, do in my house is like value in things, right? So like my kids have learned from the age that they were like, I mean, Benjamin from the age of like, you know, one and a half has started cutting vegetables, you know, with a knife that's not super sharp and helping me out in the kitchen and like understanding what goes in our food and, and going to the farmer's market with me and like doing the work where... I see a lot of kids and families that are just being catered to and catered to, to the point where the kid will throw something on the ground and the father or mother will pick it up every time, not asking the kid for actual putting in work, to pick something up. And so you're training, you know, this younger generation that's being catered to. And all of a sudden there's some sort of entitlement where yes. you, you have to yourself to blame. Right. So like I'm coming back to the basics of like, you know, like we will not like our kids do not get, beaten or whatever like we're not old school old school but there's some old school values you know uh -huh. that I really think need to stick with us because if they grow up in their lives later on and they will have to produce something themselves you know like this whole idea of this government's safe saving you um it's kind of a I don't know it's, it's just not something that that's that seems to be lasting for forever first of all and well yeah <laughs> and I, soothing. no it's not and what I call it and I won't do it 
too much on this show, but you know, people become rent seekers. They, they don't own anything. Yeah. Uh, the only thing they do own is that they rent everything in life and they don't have true ownership. They don't understand what true ownership is. Is that an ownership of an emotion? Is that an ownership of an action? Is that an ownership of an outcome? Is that yeah. ownership of your value? Is it ownership of your insecurities? Is it ownership of your confidence? And so us as parents, you know, it's tough in this world to treat that, uh, to teach that confidence confidence of self and you know it's it's stolen every day in our society through social media and in the social engineering that we go through what i love about it is i see it as a portal into kids brains to have confidence in themselves in a way that I've never seen before for younger generations. And it's taken away those insecurities because how, how does that happen? Well, you explained that you have a son that's helping you cut vegetables. He's putting proof of work into value. You know, it's not a chore, you know, it's actually mm -hmm. something that he values doing. And, you mm -hmm. know, that's, that's the big mystery that it takes a while for people to understand in the Bitcoin philosophy. And so, you know, it, it's really cool to hear that because, here you guys have a family you're writing children's books about bitcoin and you know i think it's just now getting started um you know what you guys are bringing to the table i think there's a lot of people out there that are, are kind of yearning to have this tool in their tool belt and you know we're getting close to basically Christmas. So what better way to, you know, spend Christmas and, you know, bring this into the new year with, you know, the book you've, you guys have written and everything and really getting this in front of people, you know, this is a perfect time to start spreading this message. And that that's, what's cool. So let's go back to kind of like what I'm doing. Okay. We're, I'm, you know, I'm all about decentralization. I'm about decentralization. Uh, my main focus is food intelligence. And you brought up farmer's markets and all that. How, how do you see Bitcoin basically helping educate your kids on pure nutritional delivery to their brains, being it, being it good produce from the farmer's market or beef or whatever it is? How are y'all bringing Bitcoin into, into this, the mindset of food? You mind if I start? So, yeah, one of the ways I think about that is, um, you know, when you think of the transfer of money in the typical um, SWIFT financial system, there's a lot of friction, right? Mm -hmm. So what Bitcoin does is it eliminates the friction. And when you can eliminate the friction, that friction is typically additional cost. And where you see that additional cost um, come up in food is the reduction in its quality, where if you don't have the friction from the transportation of one place to the other and that cost associated with that, then that, that money can be put back into the food back into the nutrients and into the soil, into all of that stuff, which makes the food so much better. You know, one of the things I used to tease Frida about when we were first getting to know each other, and she brought it up a little bit, how uh, the, the taste of vegetables in Europe compared to the taste of vegetables here in the United States is um, her family used to own a small little, just four walls and a roof um, hut, basically, in uh, the Canary Islands on the island of Gomera. And she always used to say, when she ate a tomato, oh, this tomato tastes terrible. And I'm like, what are you talking about? This tomato tastes like a tomato. She goes, oh, well, in Gomera, they taste so much sweeter. Or a bell pepper, oh, this, this doesn't taste very good. In Gomera, it tastes so much better. And for years, she just kept bringing up this analogy about the vegetables in Gomera. And uh, 
finally one day she was like, Chris, uh, when I, I lived a year in, in Europe and she's like, I really want to go visit, um, this Island that I haven't been to in, you know, 15 years. Um, let's go. So I was like, okay, fine. Let, Tamara, let, yeah. Let's go. Uh-huh. And I was, and, uh, you know, uh, being Frida as she was, we do everything in a kind of a backpacking style. I go, okay, well, do we have a hotel or anything to stay? She's like, no, no, no. I know people there. We'll be fine. I say, you know, people there. What do you mean? You know, people there. She said, oh yeah. My, my, my parents, they knew a lot of people there. They'll remember me. I was like, when was the last time you were there? She said, I was seven. And I was like, you're, you're 20 years old. What do you awesome. mean they're going to remember you? <laughs> so I was Perfect. like, okay, you know, here we go. And uh, sure enough, you know, we get there and we go to the local grocery store and one of, uh, turns out one of her mother's old friends still runs the grocery store. And she's like, oh my God, Frida, you know, I haven't seen you in so long. And it was just, she's like, oh, I have a couple of places you can, you know, you, you, you can rent f- uh, from me for how long are you staying? And, uh, you know, then we had a place to stay and uh, then we went out to dinner that first night and uh, we ordered a salad or something like that. And I kid you not, that first bite I took, it was just like the whole world opened up. I had no idea. I mean, I didn't need to drink water because the bell peppers had so much moisture in them. I wasn't right. thirsty, you know, t- type of thing. And, um, they, they do everything very, you know, natural, decentralized. Um, they take personal care and responsibility for what they're creating because those farms, those plantations, those are generational family owned and, and they're feeding their neighbors, they're feeding their towns, they're, you know, feeding their local communities and they take personal responsibility in that. And I feel like here in America and in a lot of first world countries, that kind of responsibility has uh, become kind of a, a backseat to the, uh, the, the profitability and increasing revenues type of uh, type of structure. So in one sense, we're making more food, but at the detriment to our health. And so that's, you know, that, that friction again is, uh, is really creating a a challenge. Well, and if I hear another person or farmer say we have to feed the world, I'm going to lose it. Okay. You know how you feed the world? You, you start with your community. You start with your, 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 four city blocks that are around you. That's how you feed the world. And and if you if you approach it from that standpoint, then you don't destroy the soil. You don't destroy the the the, the food that you're actually growing and basically processing and sending out to the world. Because yeah, we produce a lot of food, but okay, let's disseminate that. You can't even call it food anymore. We produce a product. We produce most most foods are commodities now because they all they do is have fake commodities in them, and so we're really you know we're getting to where we're the recycling bin of that waste product that we're we're developing. So by you know I've traveled around the world as well. You know I remember when I was in Thailand and eating the vegetables over there, and I was like this is something I've never even thought that I would experience just like you, you know, (laughs) with that first bite of the salad. That's how I see Bitcoin helping people become aware that we can do this differently. And I hope down the line that the farmers and ranchers are going to understand, I don't have to raise this cattle to be shipped off somewhere else. I can raise this cattle to feed 60 mile radius and where this cattle was raised out in a field, not basically using antibiotics and um, uh, basically, 
you know, every chemical that they put in these these animals, but they can do it with regenerative farming uh, in, in a decentralized way. Just like you said, that family, you know, that was a, a generational family system that they had going on there. And it was a party line system. And it was decentralized. and It was a, a sense of purity that we have lost in our food, basically. And so by I think teaching kids the power of Bitcoin philosophy of the decentralization, decentralize your food. If we can just teach them that little phrase, how do we decentralize our food for the family? What do we have to do? What is the proof of work that we have to put in to decentralize our food? Well, we're going to go to the farmer's market instead of the supermarket. Well, we're going to contact our local beef producer. Wherever he is, we will find him because they are. California's got tons of local beef suppliers. Excellent, excellent beef in the state of California. A lot of people don't realize you, you guys get a lot of bad raps about California, you know, because California is California. What people don't realize is California produces so much agriculture in in this world, and it always has. The, the land is so fertile, or it was, but from produce to, um, to beef to animal protein, from lamb to goats to fowl to hogs to pork, anything you want, you can find it in California. So saying that somebody in L.A., you guys can access pure animal protein and you can go to the farmer's market and find whatever you want. That's a decentralized way of thinking. So um, how are you guys living right now? Because you said you go to a farmer's market a lot. Is Are they pretty strong? And, you know, do you have some good farmer's markets there in L.A. right now? Where we live, yeah, in our local community. So in Orange County. Okay. Um, yeah, so we we do have some farmers market. You know, it's um, we actually have a, a great farm they call it the Ecology Center, and they you know have a very small space in the middle of San Juan Capistrano, and they do a lot of outings for the kids. You know, and it is something where like you know we are, we are city people, and uh-huh. we can go to our little farm and we can teach our kids. You know, how does the corn grow and how high is it? And you know, they sell a lot of produce out of there. And this was like a project that was created on like somebody's dream one day to like, you know, create a farm in the middle of this area. Sure. And so that's, we're pretty blessed down here. You know, we have a lot of access. Like if you want to, and if you are aware and you want to teach your kids and we do have farmer's markets. Um, I think, I think the narrative is also going towards though, um, you know, people not even trusting the farms at the farmer's market anymore. Uh-huh. Right. It, it comes down to like, you I mean, because the the USDA organic label, you know, <laughs> it's a joke, jokes, you know, yes. and and so just like big business always, you know, grabbing at what was actually beneficial for people to understand. Right. And kind of being dishonest around labeling and things like that. That's really, really ruining that, you know. Yes, it is. Um, and and so like, you know. I think what's happening now, like also in the Bitcoin community, um, as well as also like what's going on in the world right now with just general like health community, I want to say, um, is that more and more people puts that put their heads together and actually vet the people that you buy from. Right. And that there is a newfound like honesty within those communities. You know, that I think there was a there was a long time where we were all like just like everybody's just doing things for profit, 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 profit. And like we now see the ramifications of that so much, at least for those that are aware. And then, you know, the people that are being brought in, you know, like I get a lot of questions being in the, in the, in the field of, you know, like trying to get the best sources of my meat, of my, 
uh, of my vegetables and things like that, that a lot of people come and ask me, you know, and ask me like, what do I watch out for? What can I trust? And it's honestly getting to know your farmer and like, that'll take a little bit of time. You know, it's either they come to you, you know, somebody that's pre-vetting, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and knowing that, you know, you have a moral and a standard that you will keep and you will not sell out for any amounts of dollars. Right. And, and, you know, that, that is something I think that's popping up more and more where people are just so fed up with just like this whole, I mean, this fiat idea of like, you know, the wealth and I have this and I have that and I have all these things, but what's the quality of your life, right? Feeds into like this whole, um, I think, movement that we're going through right now of, you know, a lot of people actually sitting down and doing some self-discovery about, you know, like, what do I want in my life? There's only so much time that I have, right? What value do I want to bring to my kids, to my family, to my future? Do I want to be in this rat race for much longer? Or do I want to create something that actually brings me joy every day, you know? Yeah. And then I tie it back to, you know, I just, I do nutrition studies also. So it just ties back into like your, your whole body system, like your physical body and how we can be affected by our thoughts and by what we do on a daily level is freaking mind blowing to me. Yeah. And you know how our thoughts, how positive thoughts can positively influence your health and how you can actually make yourself sick through negative thinking. Uh-huh. And you know, and so I think I think it's it's just really um good to like, you know, that's what's what we're trying, you know, with our kids too, to surround them with the people that are really solid, good people that like know their stuff, know, want to educate because they want to educate, not because there's like something to be making of it. I mean, everybody has to make a living. Don't get me wrong, you know, like, but there's a genuine um, interest in just bettering the world. And I feel like that's, that's just something that's very strong. I feel like, you know, Bitcoin finds people, you know, like not everybody will come to Bitcoin. Some people are presented with Bitcoin all their lives and they will never buy in because they just don't hold those values. And it's kind of interesting how it kind of sifts through that. You know, yeah, we, we, really we end up with a pretty good, um, pretty good community because of that. So, yeah, it, we really do. And it, it, within the beef initiative, what I tell people, I said, this is a lifestyle change. You know, this yeah. is a thought process. And I said, you want to go up to the person that's supplying you your pure animal protein. You want to shake their hand. You want to look them in the eyes and you want to say, thank you. How can I help you beyond just buying your protein from you what can i do to help you to support you and especially because they go through a lot of they they have a lot of battles daily you know it's all unseen and untalked about but whenever you have somebody that you can go shake their hand and you can look them in the eye and they look you in the eye there there's ownership right there he's going to own that he has to provide you the best product you're going to own that i need to support this guy because he's putting in a lot of work he's putting in a lot of proof of work to get here to where we are at this moment in time you make that transaction this is what we're going to try to make that transaction in bitcoin you know we're doing a decentralized way of uh decentralizing our food and and if people would just take time to sit back and say it doesn't have to be this difficult every other saturday i'm going to the farmer's market once every three months i'm going to go source my beef boom you you have food security 
you're you're done. It doesn't have to be all these trips to the grocery store. It doesn't have to be this way. And people are going to start understanding that. It's just a small little point your compass in a little bit different direction. Find that beef producer, that animal protein. If it's, you know, if you want fowl, if you want hog, whatever it is, whatever your animal protein is, even if it's fish, you know, out in California, you got plenty of fish. So wherever you are, you got to find that animal protein and go establish that relationship with that person. So, yeah. And we can go around the bureaucracy of it all, right? Because, sure. Like, yes. We take those right? layers. We take those layers Literally. away that Chris yeah. was saying. All those That's layers what... of money, we just eliminate it. And you, you, we don't have to worry about it anymore because we're being proactive. We're being very intentional with a sense of integrity towards the nutrition that we're going to give ourselves and to our, our children. And then we're going to communicate that to our communities. It's not yeah. complicated. No. And it seems like, you know, our educational system is so focused around you always having to have the right answer all the mm. time. And yeah. there is no wrong answer. Right. And it creates this 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 personal individual and then society sort of malaise of just I can't talk about these subjects because I'm already supposed to know the answers to them. Yeah. Like People don't want to talk about money. They use dollars and currency wherever they are in the world every single day. You ask somebody, hey, do you, do, you, do you understand about money? First answer is yes. Okay, well, do you understand how it's created? Yes. You know, they don't want to get deep into it because they, no one really understands it at all. They yeah. go, I'll buy Bitcoin. All you have to, I'll buy Bitcoin as soon as you can explain to me how it works. So then I, I, I always ask the question, well, do you know how the dollars in your pocket work? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. Okay, well, do you understand the, the credit card system and the payment rails and how that stuff works? Uh, well, no. I'm like, okay, well, you're using that. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the Lightning Network and Bitcoin is the same thing with half the friction and zero the cost. <laughs> like, sure. uh, you know, so, and the same thing with food. You know, people eat food every day. They think they know about it, but they mm -hmm. don't. They're just following a pattern that society has told them how to do it without really questioning a society. And I think we're getting to the point where, uh, and you see it in the news every day, and there's lots of terms that we can use about what's happening with, with everything. Um, people have stopped questioning the decisions that they're being told to make every day. Of course, and they have. it's and it's it's creating um, conflicts, and it's making the next generation um, weaker, uh, physically and mentally, uh, physically on a on a nutrition um, mm -hmm. foundation. And mentally on a, um, like you were talking about uh, earlier with uh, the role of parents in order to help their children build their self-confidence. You know, yeah. our son would laugh at something and go, daddy, that's funny, right? And I go, well, do you think it's funny? And he goes, yeah. I said, then it's funny. All like, right. don't worry about what other people think. <laughs> worry yeah. about what you think. What makes you happy? You know? Sure. Yeah, it's so true. Because we've touched on this. Like, well, you guys have touched on something I wanted to bring up. In everybody, I'm going to, because I have to say this all the time, the food labeling laws in the United States of America have changed under the, the guise of COVID. Nobody understands now. Mm -hmm. Labeling laws have been hijacked. Um, there's a thing out there called the grass rule. That's G-R-A-S. Well, that basically is... It's called generally recognized as safe. And it's what the FDA can use basically to manipulate our chemical induction into our food supply. They just won a lawsuit where they could now 
about another thousand new chemicals can be induced into our food supplies without them saying, what are those chemicals? And so parents need to know that they need to know that now GMO is, is gone. Now GMO is going to be called bioengineering. People aren't even going to know that it's going to take them years to catch up. What do they mean by bioengineering? Well, we get into biometrics, we get into nanotechnology and guess what? They don't even have to say anything on the package anymore. They can put a barcode and the barcode just says, Hey, scan this and go read our terms of agreement of what bioengineering is. So all Food labeling laws, in, in, especially in the United States of America, are corrupt, they're misleading, and they make you less of a person because you buy a product because it's interface surface level type of thinking. We have to dive deeper into the meaning of our food, to the source of the seed, and understand what true nutrition is, what the lies of the past have been, and what the lies of the future are being engineered right now. And one way we do that is understanding the Bitcoin philosophy of decentralization, decentralizing our food, decentralizing our thought processes. And so I won't hijack the <laughs> I had to say that. No, but, this uh, is, yeah. I mean, this is really something very close to me. I know exactly what you're talking about. And when they right. came out with that, I think it was about a year and a half ago that they yeah. made some adjustments there. Yeah. I was reading up on that. And like, I mean, those things get me riled up, you know, oh, it's, and it's, it's some, it's some deep, nasty stuff that it's going to hit and people are not even going to understand. And they're going to get away with so much now because they're trying to kill the beef industry in a way they're going to try to make beef into caviar, you know, yeah. where it's so expensive. And then they're going to replace that beef that everybody was eating with these new fake commodities that I always talk about, which is going to be a fake uh, vegetable protein, which is basically what got us, to metabolical failure in the United States in the first place. That's another podcast, but it's coming and people have to be very aware of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what Obama said, right? I mean, he, he brought it to the forefront when uh, they were changing the CPI when he first became president. Right. And, uh, you know, he said, well, if beef becomes too expensive, they'll just change it to chicken. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, no, that's not how it works. No, it isn't. And you know, that's, it's, it's, it's very scary. And it's part of my whole agenda to get that awareness out there, but we have to start with the kids. You know, we have to, that's, it's gotta be there. So, okay. We're getting close to the holidays. Let's get into some fun times. How are, um, what are you guys got coming up? How many, you got a lot, you have a lot of books available that can be bought right now. Yes. Yeah, we've got a up? lot of books available. We've been uh, stocking up, getting ready for Christmas. Um, the book is self-published, so okay. um, we're, we're doing it all ourselves. Um, you know, the we, we don't really make any money on the books. It's, sure. it's, I mean, it's definitely not going to replace any right. of our paychecks or salary. You're not going to build the <laughs> Citadel? The Citadel but, is not here, um, so... It's definitely about getting the word out, helping give parents another resource to help educate their kids and to start the conversation and to journey down the rabbit hole together. Right. Because Frida and I are really big believers that, um, you know, the family is is the core unit. You know, we, we still believe in the in the nuclear family um, like this country used to believe in a, a long time ago. And now it's becoming more of a, a state driven um educational family system where the state is trying to pull more and more of their power to separate the parents from, from their children. And um, we just want to give the parents something else that they can go back to talk to their kids about and to really create those bonds and those 
open conversations with with no rules. Anything is is on the table. Don't be afraid to ask any questions about anything. Um, and you know, the last line of our uh, of the book of the last page of our book, when in the glossary of the book, there's a lot of um, basic terms about Bitcoin. You know, what is mining? What is a node? What is what are all these terms that I keep hearing about that are making me so anxious about even understanding the space? So there's a really good simplistic um, definitions in the back of the book about that. But the last, the last one is, um, something that, uh, Max Kaiser says a lot. And, um, we tend to agree with, you know, you don't change Bitcoin, Bitcoin changes you, right. You know, you, you, you don't open your eyes. Uh, you know, if you open your eyes to a decentralized food, uh, system, um, you can't change that. It's going to change you though. Yes. Yeah, it, yeah. It, that's a good point. I mean, that's perfect. Uh, I want everybody just to start saying decentralized food, decentralized food, and really yeah. understand what that really means. Because I tell you what, it is so centralized and, and corrupted at this time. Uh, the amount of food that is not food anymore, the amount of whatever you want to say, chemicals to products, to byproducts, to processing, it, we don't have food anymore in a way. Children between the ages of five and 11 now in the United States or 46% of them are now obese or overweight. Mm -hmm. And I wrote something about it. I think it was last week. And you know what the headline was? Oh, children piled on the pounds during the lockdowns. Mm -hmm. That was their kind of definition of what is going on. No, it's a form of child abuse because children do not have any control over, you know, sweets. They don't, they can't, they don't have that discipline. They don't have that confidence in themselves to say no to candy all the time or whatever, you know, that they've hijacked our taste buds with, especially the children. So not enough people are talking about the children, you know, how we're stealing their sense of self while we're stealing their physical and mental and emotional ability to survive in this world in a way that we want them to, that they deserve. And, you know, it's a full quarter, you know, it, it's a counterpunch to all this from the book that you guys have, the Bitcoin philosophy to the food systems. And we all need to start bringing this into every freaking conversation, especially in the Bitcoin space. We can't talk about just Bitcoin all the time anymore. We have to bring everything into it. And so I, I commend you guys. And, you know, I hope that, uh, you know, we get this out here. I know you guys are probably going to be on a couple more podcasts, but I want you guys to let everybody know, you know, how can we get a hold of you? How can we get a hold of the book? How can we follow you on Twitter? Anything that you guys want to shill everybody? Because I'm not going to ask you who you're going to orange bill because that's already obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so just give us all the lowdown on, uh, you know, everything that you, uh, you want everybody to know so they can get a book to their kids or just anybody they want to before the holidays. Sure. Yeah, so we have our website that's uh, bitcoinforkiddos.com. And on the homepage right there, if you go beyond the fold, um, you can order your books. So we ship from the United States. So international shipping, just be advised that, you know, takes a little bit longer here and there. Sure. Um, and then you can find us on Twitter at Bitcoin for Kiddos. If you just search for it, it'll come up. But the actual handle is Bitcoin for Kid double D one. The number okay. one. Yeah, the number one. Okay. And then also the same for uh, in our Instagram. 
Bitcoin for Kiddos is also Instagram. Yeah, we're more active on Twitter. Honestly, if you want to like connect with us, Twitter is probably the best way because, you know, Bitcoin Twitter is very just loving towards us. Sure. Um, yeah, I just, I just wanted to say like one last thing, you know, when you were talking about the food and the kids and like how we have to watch out for them. Like, I think that's also one of the things about, you know, TV and TV ads, you know, that's where it starts. We're essentially you know, when we put our kids in front of the TV too much, especially unsupervised, you know, they're, they're bombarded with essentially propaganda on which foods to eat. And, you know, I can say that there's not a single food on television that I would put in my own body. No. And when you were bringing up on, you know, like the self-control that kids don't have the self-discipline, I can tell you if I were eating the things that they're feeding to kids, I would not have the self-control either. It has nothing to do with your brain. It has something to do with your body's cravings. And if you give it chemicals that constantly produce those cravings, then they will be eating more. And a lot of kids, sadly, in the United States don't even get real food. Like, I mean, I think there's a really scary statistic where like uh, uh, there's like a, a vegetable and that's considered like the tomato on a hamburger that a kid's a kid eats a week right. you know, on average. And that's just crazy. I mean, that's just, I mean, it's really sad. And I think we have to do education also around how vegetables are fun. You know, like I think some parents have this assumption that kids don't even like vegetables. So they, they, they will not like this because, you know, like it's not sweet and it's not, you know, out of a box and it doesn't, you know, come with extra sugar on top or whatever. Um, and, and it's really not true. I think it's, it's, you know, that's what we want to touch on what we started at the beginning, you know, cooking with your kids. Oh my God, they have so much fun. Like, oh yeah. you know, if you go to that local farmer's market, they get to pick out what they want to be making. And then, you know, you cut it up. Sometimes they will try it and they'd be like, no, I don't want to eat the rest of this. And that's fine too, you know, but just the whole involvement of them in that and, you know, um, I could go on. I mean, this is, no, yeah. well, <laughs> I can't do, I can't kind of sum that up, you know, to bring it back, uh, to Bitcoin, if you will, you know, um, families can need, need to start realizing that in order to eat healthy, you don't have to have every single meal come from a farmer's market to start. You don't have to have everything you eat be decentralized to start. We know it's expensive. We know it's expensive because we see it in our in our pocket book every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, Frida has this this motto. You know, you're either gonna you either spend it you either spend the money on health now or you spend it on money on health later. Right. And the difference is, you either spend it for good nutrition now to stay healthy, or you spend it in doctor's bills and insurance premiums later. So, um, you know, that's always something that's really that, that's really touched me. Um, and you know, just like Bitcoin, you know, you don't have to buy a full Bitcoin. You can buy one Satoshi up to a hundred million Satoshis. At exactly. A time, you know, yeah. you just got to start. And the more healthy food, the more healthy money that you start accumulating now over time, it's, 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 it's a staircase, right? It is. Every step doesn't seem like you're making any difference, but then you look back over a period of time and you see how far you traveled and you realize, Oh my gosh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've gone someplace. I'm somewhere different now. I, I have more energy. I have more options. You know, I have more and yes. I didn't really do anything different. It's a, it's an accumulation game, um, less than just making a hard line in the sand and saying, you know, I'm making all these changes today. And then, and then the one last thing I think is, is also, you know, to the parents, um, or, you know, to anybody out there, even without kids is stay playful with yourself and allow yourself to ask the questions. We in this household amongst us ask the dumbest questions, but that's how we learn, right? Yes. We're running our own node and 
we we just got this node to run it and we didn't know like much about it you know and we just figured it out along the way you know and that's how you learn you just like you just go and do and you figure it out and it's, it's sometimes there's this concept of you know because we're a certain age you no longer are allowed to ask these questions and you just walk into this room where everybody kind of has this half knowledge around things and it's really not fulfilling right yeah i really like i want to dig in the dirt i want to like get to the bottom of this i want to you know, dig deeper with people. And I think that's what life's all about. And Bitcoin is just such a value in that. Yeah, it is. It is. And I always book, go ahead. I was saying and the book, Bitcoin for kiddos, again, it's, it's really a way to start that self-discovery with yourself and your family. And so, you know, we really encourage everybody to, uh, to pick up a copy of it. I guarantee it won't be something that'll just sit on the shelf. Um, you know, I had to read it several times before I started memorizing. It's not a long read. You know, uh, I, I like stories that are about 15 or 16 pages long because any longer than that, I just want my kid to go to sleep at night. I'm tired too. Um, but I wanted, you know, we wanted to create something that's playful and that is, is something you can think about later. And when you start thinking about the concepts in the book and how it's affecting your life or how you've noticed it affect the, the lives around you, it can really become a, an eye-opening experience to that, that matrix moment of waking up from, from the matrix and really seeing outside of the box on what's really going on in, in the world. And that's really what the book is about, to help you and your kids understand what's going on around you in the world. Now, the decisions you make about that are completely your own and uh, we all have different lives to lead but um i guarantee you uh your brain will change <laughs> after right. after reading the book well and i always you know i got into the the how i got into the harvest of decession and food intelligence i came up with first in my own mind i came up with this phrase we have to get back to the source of the seed well, you know, the source of the seed of our food, the source of the seed of our, our teaching our children, the foundational level of uh, confidence, of integrity, of virtue, of love, of, um, you know, being themselves. And I think that, you know, all of us, you know, especially this last hour and hour and a half, whatever it's been, you know, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get to the source of the seed of truth. And so, you know, I want to thank you guys and um, Frida. It was great that we reached out and it's come to here. We've got a podcast now uh, after Christmas. Let's get back together, guys. And let's let's see how it went. And then um, what we'll do is I'll push this and I'm going to write. It's basically a cool sub stack this week. It's on. uh, Well, you know, I'm Texas Slam, so it's going to (laughs) be it's going to be called, uh, you know, we need more cowgirls in Bitcoin. Okay. But it's about a family in Texas in this, this, this uh, girl, she's a barrel racer and she's a world champion, but the family is fascinating. They, they have a ranch and they have virtue. They have all kinds of cool things that I'm going to bring out. So I'm going to write about them, but I'm going to do a big section about you guys as well. So probably everybody listening to this, if you haven't seen my Substack, it comes out on Sunday, uh, go back and look at my Substack. They're all also be an article written and you can read even more about uh chris and frida and bitcoin for kiddos so um thanks guys i appreciate you uh meeting up with me today and it was a it was a really good conversation thank you yeah thank you bye-bye it's great to meet you too bye okay take care